So hello everyone. This is the first interview in the series of Byte-end interviews with successful startups, businessmen, and tech gurus. I'm your host Yuri, and today we have our the very first guest, Olivia Grinda, who is a passionate tech entrepreneur, co-founder, and CEO at Home Sixty One. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Yuri. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. So the first question: Could you tell a bit more about yourself and about Home Sixty One? Sure, absolutely. So I have been a tech entrepreneur uh, for 10 years now. Um, I was very lucky and, and right out of college, I got an opportunity to join as a co-founder one of um, a startup called uh, Brent's Club. Um, so I co-founded it from the, from, the, from the very start and it was a private sales club where we would sell luxury goods um, uh, over a special event of 24 to 48 hours. In the United States, there is a business called Guild.com that is very similar, and we brought it to Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, and I got very lucky because at that time, there was a commodity boom in Brazil, um, and they love brands and discount, and the company made like a million dollars in revenue in the first six months. Uh, so that That's was awesome. unbelievable. Um, two years later, I co-founded another company called ClickOn, which was like a Groupon business, but again in Brazil, mm -hmm. um, and it made a million dollars in revenue after three months. And I was like, Wow, this startup thing is really, really easy. Um, and uh, but the reality, or I'm really, really good. But the reality was actually quite different. Is that we had the right model at the right time, and we were extremely lucky. Um, I went on later on to do a JV with uh, Axel Partners and um, and Redpoint um, to open Shoes for You, which was a subscription business for uh, shoes, also in Brazil. Um, and at that time. Uh, unfortunately, that business didn't work. I learned for the very first time that not everything does a million dollars after six months. Um, and um, and it was very interesting because the team was absolutely stellar. The co-founders around me were absolutely stellar. And um, and yet, uh, like just the business didn't, 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 didn't work. And so this business closed. And um, at the same time, I sold uh, Brent's Club and my shares in Brent's Club and ClickOn, which ended up being like two of the biggest e-commerce um, of, uh, of Brazil. And with this, I was looking for a new challenge. And I talked to one of, I talked to one of my friends. Um, I talked to one of my friends who told me like, perhaps I should not have 100% of my wealth in startups because there was a, a, a bubble burst, uh, you know, years before. Mm -hmm. And I, I was myself either invested in my own startups or invested in other people's startups and convinced me to purchase uh, real estate. Um, and I was like, okay, why not? It's going to be pretty exciting. I'm going to have something real to like touch and see. It's like a physical good. It's going to be very exciting. And oh my God, it was hell. It was pure hell. Um, the broker had no idea what like what the numbers were. Like he kept on asking me what I wanted. I was like, I want a good investment and like something that has a good rental rentability and etc. And he couldn't give me any information. Um, so I went and ended up doing the research, found something that was like pretty good. So we made an offer, got it at the price that I wanted. I'm like okay, so it's gonna be pretty cool. On top of that, like he is a broker who was the only person I could talk to apparently um, could not uh, like explain to me the contract. Like he knew like three things uh, about the contract, where to sign, what was the price basically. Uh, all right. That's kind of weird. Um, and then I was like, okay, we got the price we wanted. What, what else can go wrong? Well, everything went wrong. Like it took like 45 days to, or to 60 days to close. Um, there was like 
endless paperwork. They kept on wanting some bullshit there, bullshit there. And, and, and like, finally I got the apartment. I didn't even like it anymore. Um, and, and the worst part is that I still own this apartment actually. And it's a great investment, except that it was such a health case. So I was like, okay, wait, that doesn't make sense. Like if this is for me, just an investment property, and it's such a hassle. How is it for, and on top of that, I have experience with contracts. I'm, you know, I know a little bit how things work. How is it for people who've never seen a contract in their life, um, who, you know, just work nine to five and never really had to deal with any of this? How do they manage? And then I uncovered a very ugly truth is that most of the people get a horrible, horrible service on their number one asset, which is real estate. People put their life on the line. They put their, they get indebted significantly in order to purchase a home. And reality, the reality is that they have no help. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some amazing real estate agents out there. Um, they're highly educated, provide an amazing service, but they are limited in the amount of deals they can do. So they, of course, go towards a higher average ticket. So what ends up happening, which happens all the time, is that the people who need the least help get the best help, and the people who need the, the, most, the, the most help get the least help. And I was like, okay, that doesn't make sense. On top of that, the process to find a home is pretty, pretty simple. It's like, okay, discovery, data is available, um, the, 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 the actions are very repetitive. Um, we can definitely do, we can do, definitely do something better. So we, um, so we ended up, uh, creating basically a system that from the very first click, all the way to your closing, we accompany you. Um, and we make sure that you have the maximum amount of information in the easiest and seamless, most uh, amount of ways so that you're going to be in, in able to find the right home for you with all of the right decision done. Um, furthermore, we also saw that there was a struggle for real estate agents who didn't have enough uh, leads and, and not enough training and therefore was very capped in terms of uh, income. Most people feel that real estate agents don't earn enough. Uh, don't, I'm sorry, most people feel that they earn, feel that they earn too much but in reality, they actually their their average income is like I think it's 18k their first two years, and then the agent average after 16 years in the market, so they survive 16 years, uh, is like 76k. So it's not all the glory that you see on on, on TV. Far from it. Um, and the major uh, difficulty for this is that this is a sales job, and one of the very few sales jobs where there is no training and it's not recognized as a sales job people think that real estate is very special in that that way and it's there is a low barrier of entry but it's not true it's very very hard to be a successful real estate agent so hope 61 set out to to do this um and that's how home 61 was born that's a really really great story to hear from you and just a quick question about brazil why brazil how how you came up there oh um, I really want to tell you that I did this beautiful uh, market analysis and it was like clearly the place of the future. Uh, but in reality, I had met this investor who had already done this business model in Germany um, and wanted to launch it in other uh, uh, countries. And initially he wanted to launch it in the US and that's why I was joining. Um, but um, Guilt and Rulala uh, launched with massive amount of money. And he's like, well, fuck it, we'll do it in, we'll do it in, in uh, up and coming, like developing world, but more like up and coming, if you will. Um, in, and he launched in Brazil, Ukraine, um, uh, in Russia, 
in uh, Turkey, in India, mm -hmm. um, and um, and in Brazil. And I was like, and he was like, okay, do you want to do Brazil? And I was like, absolutely. I am 22, and I have uh, <laughs> nothing better to do. So absolutely. And I actually took my diploma on the 18th of December, um, and I left on the 26th of December to go open the company. Um, to, to be clear, I wasn't alone. I, I had plenty of co-founders. Uh, they didn't leave the keys to the 22 year old, but I was definitely, uh, one of the, one of the few that was helping, uh, build the house. Yeah, that's, that's a great, uh, adventure. Um, okay. And the next question, uh, in January, your firm has closed its doors to reopen with a new business model, 100% commission brokerage platform. How does your business operate now in times of coronavirus crisis? So, um, uh, as I was very lucky with the timing for, uh, as I was very lucky with the timing uh, with Brands Club and ClickOn, I was uh, perhaps a little bit unlucky with Home 61. Um, in, the in the sense that my original business model, which was creating leads and having real estate agents um, manage those, those, those leads with guidance and help and, and most of all, a lot of technology uh, would probably have worked very well in a downturn, which is what I expect, by the way. Right now we're in, a, of course, a corona quarantine um, uh, corona quarantine uh, um, uh, period, but very soon we're very likely to, um, to be having a massive recession. Um, mm -hmm. Just simply because the SMBs have about 26 days of cash, we've been closed up for a month and a half now, and on top of, and and on top of that, um, unemployment is going to skyrocket. People will not have as much um, uh, disposable income. I mean, it's just just going to be a recession. Um, and I the hundred percent brokerage where uh, was a response to basically once the market was going really really well, our business model was not scaling. Uh, our business model was not scaling when we were generating leads and helping our agents uh, close them because we didn't have enough agent. A lot of them was being drawn out to 100% brokerages. Um, the market was super liquid. So even though they might make less money overall, um, if they were picking 100% brokerage, they would. Uh, it would be difficult for them to say, okay, why am I going to do 70% with Home61 even if I get leads? Uh, I get 70% on my leads and 50-50 on their leads. Why don't I just go to 100%? I'll work less and make more money. And that never really ended up being true, but it was very competitive to hire agents. So we never really been able to scale properly. Um, so it's like, okay, well, screw it. It's not working. Um, we're going we're gonna to go 100% brokerage, and then we're going to offer the tools that are, we offer to our agents that works really well. So might as well do this. So we changed the business model and immediately the coronavirus hit. Now the problem is that this business model requires you to hire uh, agents on a very big scale because you make money through a subscription. Um, however, if all real estate agents have very low, um, if the market is illiquid and there is very low transaction, they are, real estate agents are actually much more happy to get leads and much more happy to give away part of their commission than go to 100%. So fuck um well in this um in this crisis we're like okay well we can't hire agents uh, but we're still getting quite a lot of leads so we're going to try to change um and this is actually going to be our first announcement of this we're going to try to change um to let our our clients pay, buy directly online um we have the leads we have the tools um and we feel that because 
anyway, we can't really visit the houses. So you're going to have to do, um, you're, you're, they're going to have to get video shoots and whatever. Um, listing agents will be happy to, to, to do this. So uh, we're going to try and do 100% online uh, brokerage. That sounds fascinating. Uh, but probably you have to adopt to survive these times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, and the next question is actually about real estate startups because mm-hmm. they got impacted with this Corona stuff. And uh, what b- problems do you see in current market that must be f- solved in the f- f- for the uh, that must be solved in in first, second, third? Uh, what's your opinion about this? Sure. So, so first and foremost, um, to answer from the point of view of a startup. Um, the biggest challenge that you're going to have is that contrary to most businesses, we typically run uh, in the red. We are, you know, we, we're losing money. Um, and typically we lose money for about 18 months before we raise another round. It's a rule, rule of thumb. You raise a round, you have 18 months of cash for that thing. Um, but the problem is we just lost, what, a month and a half? Nah, probably three months, maybe six months worth of operation. This means that we're gonna, not going to be able to show the growth. We're not going to be able to show... Um, what comes with it, which means you need to cut. Um, it's not fun. It's n- like people sometimes think that like being an operator, being a like co-founder, uh, it's really glamour. And on top of that, maybe a little evil was like capitalism where you fire people. Firing people is not fun. You do it because if you don't, you're going to have to fire everybody once it closes. So um, right now, um, I heard one of um, a startup founder say something that was harshly true is that if you if you cut too much into your expenses and into your workforce, you might lose a quarter to get back up. If you don't cut deep enough, you're dead. Like everything, everything is gone. Um, so right now the first harsh reality is cut as much expenses as you can. If anything, just shut down your doors for three months. Like don't pay your rent, do, do whatever you need to do so that you can, you can just survive this. Um, so it's immediately survival world. Most businesses went to zero, zero revenue. Um, if you're an airline, think about like zero revenue. Um, I, I, think, I think the uh, movie industry went from something like 220 million in like the first two weeks of March last year to $5,000. Like, holy fuck. Um, so, so step one from, from, from a startup point of view is, um, is, is conserve your cash to whatever you need to do to, uh, uh, to survive, keeps a bare, bare minimum, rehire them afterwards, you know. It sucks. It's out of your control. Do what you need to do. Um, that's step one. Step two for real estate in particular, in, in, in particular um, this is a real uh, crisis of conscience. Uh, most people, when offered the opportunity to work without a real estate agent, we'd actually not take it. They will go and will prefer to have somebody hold their hands throughout the entire transaction. But now that you're not actually allowed to see people and you're not, you should be doing social distancing and so forth, it really puts a stretch on how much, how much you want to see someone, which on the other hand gives a clear opportunity for technology to enable the social distancing and provide a similar um, uh, a similar experience. I, th- I think what we are doing right the second is actually quite telling. We could have done this interview in person, but the reality is that we're doing it over Zoom and it's vastly the same thing. The content is going to be the same. What I'm going to say is going to be the same. Um, and, um, and, um, and on top of that, 
oh, I think we both end up saving. Like I didn't have to go and drive to a meeting. You didn't have to fly in uh, and, uh, and uh, you didn't have to fly in, stay at a hotel or whatever. So overall, we're getting the content without the cost. And I think this is going to be a time where thinking smartly about how can technology adapt to this new world is, is going to be uh, crucial. Now, there is an argument to say like, well, you know, the, the cases and the deaths are flattening out. Why are we doing a technology for something that will not finish? In all likelihood, um, because how virality works, once we start going out, it will start picking up, we'll have to be shut in again, and then going to be shut out, shut in, etc. Um, and what this will have taught is, hey, when push comes to shove, people will adapt. And so if you have a tool that enables them to adapt seamlessly, they will adopt it. So to make a long story short, um, a, conserve your cash, close, do whatever you need to do. B, come with tools that enables, that, that, that leans into, lean in into the social distance things that enables is seamlessly your clients to, uh, um, uh, to, to, to do, to do so. Um, and, um, and last but not least is look to um, couple up together. What do I mean by this is, Cash is king, and if you were, and most likely it's a big winner of this of 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 the coming recession and of COVID are going to be company who has plenty of cash already established. It's very likely that Google, Amazon are actually going to come out stronger. Uh, this questions in real estate is different because is Compass going to come out? Well, that's that's very unclear because Compass is by and large operating like a startup and hoping to grow themselves out of, out of the red. And right now they're you know, like, this like is going to be a major step back. How is open door doing um, in those, um, in those period of time is quite unclear. So is compass going to come out on top and consolidate afterwards Unclear. However, guys like uh, Keller Williams or guys like um, uh, reality, it might, it will very like, likely be time for them to start in coupling up uh, cheap technology, cheap companies who are working well. Um, probably, if you're tiny, like Home 61 uh, was, it won't make sense. But if you're mid-size, definitely, definitely, uh, definitely. So I, I anticipate um, uh, basic, basically a consolidation. And this consolidation uh, only works if you know people, so it's a good time to also go and knock on everybody's door. Um, and I want to give one last example because uh, it goes to my second point, um, which is have a technology that adapts to the market. So there have been several companies uh, who previously had no market were not working very well. Um, there was one in the UK where uh, they were offering loans, uh, but people had, you know, uh, traditional banks to to loan to, so who cares? Uh, since then, their business has grown like a hundred percent months over months because suddenly banks are not are not keen on lending anymore, and they're the only lenders, and therefore they're able to really disrupt. Their business was 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 nice, but not great. Now it's ama now it's amazing because they have the right product for the right time. Um, so this effect of 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 changing people's habit is very very strong. Okay, um, thanks for the answer. And actually, you kind of mentioned this about uh, the the consolidation that is going to come in post-corona. 
uh, era. So like my question is what are some other trends that you expect from real estate and how it uh, affects startups and uh, investments in general? So consolidation is going to be one. The other one is a massive death from a lot of people. Uh, you know, if you're not Noctel, if you're not Roofdoc, if your business model was kind of shaky and not working as well as it should, etc. Um, well, I think you have to take it. You have to take it in account uh, from a VC perspective, um, because if you are a startup that's losing money and you need it every eighteen months, you need a uh, you need cash, um, you're going to have to go to your VCs. Now, your VCs, um, they probably are, you know, they're always fundraising for the next fund. So um, very likely they're going to be fine with this fund, but very unclear how they will be for the next fund. So they need to to go and spend their money very wisely. If you haven't been growing and if you haven't been hitting your, um, uh, your, your targets uh, before the coronavirus, it's going to be very, very hard um, furthermore, they probably already have some of their money committed for for uh, companies that were right is that were fundraising right before the COVID, and probably they didn't pull out uh, pull out of this. So, um, so they're going to be they're going to be cherry picking a lot more um, a lot more than before the deals that they're that they're going to have, and in somehow it might make easier for them to start a new company to back a new company that has unproven and full full of expectations in a company that has proven that they cannot grow massively when things are going well. Um, so the second trend I'm going to see, we're going to see is massive amount of startups deaths, whether it is in real estate or not, it's going to be true. But I think particularly in real estate, in, uh, particularly in, um, in real estate, because quite frankly, there, there really hasn't been a trailblazer startup who knocked it out in the park? I, I think I think the most impressive ones and those um, in real estate in general have been uh, Roofstock and Open Doors. Um, and um, but even then, like Open Doors, they make like seven percent per transaction, something uh, something or something along the line between the, how much they buy and how much they sell and the commission that they take minus the loan that they take and on and so forth. So. Um, it, it's not trailblazer, super capital, capital intensive. Um, um, it's, it's very unclear to me that I, I, it's very unclear to me who are going to be the winners uh, over, overall. Um, but my guess, open door rooftop are going to, are still going to, are still going to do well, despite the fact that um, open door holds the assets, uh, hold that, hold, uh, hold assets, uh, Probably they're going to be able to give them to the bank, or they're going to be able to uh, to to shut operation, and then they're going to have an amazing business model where they can just simply buy up uh, buy up and 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 um, uh, assets and be reselling them. Uh, Roofstock, I think, is is also going to go through a dry spell, and then like they're going to provide a lot of opportunities for investment, and people who are, who who have gone along not too on, quite on scale will be looking for massive gains on this. Um, who else is going to do well? Very unclear. I would argue that even in the um, even in the uh, offline world, non-startup world, in real estate, we're going to see massive depreciation. We're going to see massive uh, uh, drought in terms of number of transaction. Um, we're going to see massive drought in 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 price per square footage and in number of real estate agent. In two thousand seven, 
um, I think only, there was half of the amount of real estate agents there was in 2005. Um, the numbers were right around those, those things. And I think we're going to see the same thing here. What's interesting is that the average price per transaction might increase because the only people who are buying when nobody has money or is a Uber rich where 20 million is like, you know, whatever percentage of their net worth, they don't give a shit. It doesn't really make a, diff a difference. So you might have more ultra luxury transactions. So your average price, so the overall average might increase, but actually the price per square footage overall in the mass market will have decreased. Okay. Okay. So um, actually you speak about hell of a lot of dead startups and companies. And another thing that is interesting to talk about, uh, will it survive on, or not, is actually a classic offices because uh, we see the rise of remote during this, uh, uh, these times. And what is your opinion? Will, will we see work from home uh, entirely uh, sh shift to, to this system or, or the old offices will come back as strong as they were? Well, um, I'm closing down my office this week, so <laughs> so um, as this is very appro appropriate. But um, truth be told, I have uh, I have a I always have the mixed feeling about my office uh, because we're in real estate. We needed to have nice offices, but I often felt that because we had real estate agents that come in, came out, we needed to be able to go to max capacity. So we often paid for a place that was too big for a small team. Um, things were expensive. Things were expensive. Uh, rent, uh, even the fucking furniture that now I'm now trying to sell. It's super, super hard. Um, and uh, uh, when, quite frankly, I'm happy with a desk and a computer, right? So um, I have mixed feelings because, on one hand, I think that working remote is perfectly acceptable for people who know how to work remote. And I think that the vast majority of people do not know how to, to work remote, how to build a routine, how to make sure that you're prioritizing. People often understand that working from home is just going to be easier. It is not. It is harder because a lot of the subtext, a lot of the context that is being exchanged in, in corridors is no longer there. Uh, so you feel lonely. Uh, you feel um, you don't really know what's going on and you don't feel part of the company. And so that's my number one problem with working remote and only 100% remote is that company culture is a real thing. It is extremely important and it gives the rhythm to the company. If the, com if the company is working really hard, pushing each other, etc., you can feel it in the air. If everybody's a little sluggish and everybody's like pulling, everybody slowing down, you can feel it in the air. I've unfortunately experienced both. Um, and, uh, and it's a real thing. And it's very hard to build a company culture if people are not there together. I mean, that's why they do, people do retreat together. That's why they, they go and suffer through like building, uh, uh, building Legos or building a house or whatever uh, a company, your company retreat is. So it's because being together really do build ties. On the other hand, um, not having to de deal with an office and like, I mean, I, I still remember I needed to teach people like, hey, after you use the sink, you need to clean it. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, you have to put the, the paper not on the floor, but in the garbage. I mean, those kind of things, which inevitably happens because I, actually I went to tour some big ass companies in New York and the one common denominator that we had between our two companies, despite the fact that they were 300 and we were like 20 
is that it has the same like, hey, you need to clean your 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 shit after you use it in the sink, and like you have to do. And I'm like, like what's wrong with people? But anyway, to make a long story short, I um I don't think that comp. I think that remote work will be much more accepted, but the same way that we now have rules, uh, even in small startups, like how do you operate on a meeting? How do you operate on a? How do you operate on a? Um, um, in an office, like, you know, don't cook curry in the freaking, in the microwave and like whatnot, uh, office work will also now be monitored and it will be an extension of home. And I think that people are not necessarily ready for the home invasion that that requires. It means like, hey, you're probably going to have time to check ins. You're probably going to have time to check out. Um, your work is going to be a lot more monitored than before because, hey, maybe you're super effective from working from home, but a lot of people are not. And we need to have the company working at maximum productivity regardless of where you are. Uh, so probably in the next coming years, it's going to be a mix between the two. The toughest, toughest thing is going to be, uh, I think it's, we're going to have a lot of, what's more questionable is going to be shared offices. Uh, when health become more of an issue, shared offices or co-working space probably is going to be the toughest question. So I anticipate a mixture of offices that are going to be smaller. That's where I'm leaning towards myself. So that's kind of what I'm expecting is smaller offices, um, smaller offices, more, re more remote work, but also much tighter control over remote work. Okay. Yeah. Um, actually I've been working from home like for more than a month. So, um, I, I can add that, uh, you really, really feel the lack of communication and it's always being alone or like, in four walls, it's it's really hard to come to, to go with. So I think offices in some in one or another way are surely to come back. I, I want to add just a little a little something because um, I have I, I don't have children and I don't have pets, so I have zero inter uh, interruption. If anything, I have my wife who works harder than I do, so she's just like it's no it's no distraction. But if you're in a home where you know you might have two, three children plus pets plus uh, maybe maybe even your partner who doesn't work, um, then it's very very difficult to work uh, in an in this environment. You have to shut yourself up. It, it, you're, you're shut yourself off. It it's very very it's very very challenging. So you can really have just a, either the loneliness or the overstimulation. Um, it's it's not easy. People I, people always kind of assume that working from home would be like have a, a vacation. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. If you, if you, as long as you don't like a salary, uh, <laughs> you know. that's true. Yeah. Okay. And a little bit more about your, um, experience as a startupper. Uh, what main problems did you face when building a product? Um, so look, I, I will share the mistake that I have done. Um, which is once I saw Home 61 and, and, and in large part uh, shoes for you as well um, I saw a problem but more than anything I saw something that required my skills what I am good at is to build technology and to do marketing that's what I like um, and quite frankly one of the problems with the original model of Home 61 is um, that it required a lot more sales training and a lot more sales management than I was ready for or good at. Um, and, and it took us too long to figure out how to, how to do it. Um, and 
if I had done a lot more research and if I had been a little bit less excited that I had the right skill for a problem, I would have understood this before I even started. Um, and so what was interesting is that when we, is the initial results of Home 61 were phenomenal. Like we were doing like 40K uh, almost, almost immediately, like I think the first months, like we were growing well, we had the right numbers, everything was great, but we couldn't control the growth because the growth was completely dependent on the deals we closed, which was dependent on the real estate agents and we had no control over the real estate agents. Um, and so we couldn't have like stable, stable growth. And that was very worrying from the very big get go. And what's interesting is that once we're always faced with this crisis, instead of like, Hey, we have a problem in, in with the salespeople, what should we do? Um, I actually doubled down on the thing that I knew how to do, which was marketing and product. So we ended up having this amazing products that people were not using. Um, and so when building a startup, I think the biggest challenge is not necessarily, um, my biggest challenge was not necessarily building the product. Um, it was understanding exactly where was going to be the pain point. And what I, I come from a generation where we kind of turn up a little bit our nose to the incubants and to the offline world. Um, I, I still remember a conversation with my brother who is also an entrepreneur. Um, and he built a startup, uh, in, uh, 2000, in 1998 oh, and wow. he's in 1998, uh, and he, uh, or was it 2000 and, but right around there. Um, and he told me, and it still resonated with me, like people will never go to a supermarket again. Why would they, when they can just get it from, uh, get it, get it from home. Um, and in large part, I mean, he was right about Amazon and a lot of things, but supermarkets still exist. <laughs> it's not like it's the, it's a thing. And, and kind of like this cavalier attitude, like we're going to replace everything and everything's going to be digital and better, um, kind of like anchored to me. So when I did my research to, uh, to Home61, I, I did it lightly over like what could I improve and what could I do that was going to be different and transcendent. And in many ways, what we created was a better tool on how to do real estate, but it was not 10x better. It was not like a replacement kind of tool. It was like an efficiency kind of tool. Um, and, uh, and if I had spent more time with the incumbents understanding their pain point, I would have realized that they have the exact same fucking pain point that I ended up having that they were able to solve and that I would perhaps been able to solve eventually, but you know, time's a constraint, cash is a constraint. So couldn't, couldn't do it. Um, I, I would have been able to see it for, uh, uh, earlier. What's most likely would have happened is I wouldn't have done that business. I would have done a different business. One that didn't require a skill that was very different, but um, ultimately build a product, not the one that you like, but the one that people need and make sure that you understand your product, your business in and out like, like crazy. Um, uh, I'm going to talk just quickly about a competitor uh, called Triple Mint, who did the same business model. I, I have no idea how they're doing in this COVID world. I hope they're doing well. Um, but I got to know uh, David and Phil pretty well. Um, there was a both the co-founder of, of them. And David and Phil started by getting the real estate license and doing the deals himself. Um, and they ended up having an understanding of the world and understanding of, the, of, the, of real estate and the sales part that, quite frankly, I still don't have. Um, they are, they did the research much better than, uh, than I did. And therefore 
uh, were more prepared for the challenges, and I thought they did very well in that in that front. Um, I still feel like I had I had some stuff that they didn't have, uh, or they don't have. Um, but for that business model, it mattered less, and so props to them. Great story. And so you were actually mentioning that Home 61 is going full online. And uh, uh, talking about this, what do you think about software as a service? Will this model still be popular in the nearest future? And do you uh, think about offering something like this to your customers? So um, I... The problem with software as a service is that you need to have a client that's willing to pay for it. Um, and real estate agents typically don't have money. Uh, they're always short in cash, uh, sometimes because they've been massively successful and they purchased a lot of, uh, of commodities or um, because they are typically not that successful and quite frankly are need to optimize and, um, and do anything they can. You, if you look at the CRM or, or in, in terms of, um, of real estate, you'll see that the, like it's a race to zero. Uh, all of the prices of the CRM are going further and further down. Um, and uh, you have like companies like Boomtown, they're well-established, so they're defending their prices a little bit more. But a lot of other, a lot of others want are just like falling further and further down just because their clientele, which are real estate agents, don't have that much money. Um, firms like uh, Compass will probably build their own because it's really not that complicated um, or will go off of Salesforce. Um, so again, consolidation over the people who are already established or just simply build your own. Your, your, uh, your own. Um, furthermore, um, in our case, what we're planning on doing is very simple, is we are going to offer you to uh, at a discount. We're going to be like, hey, you don't get a real estate agent, so you get you do the work, so you get to have a you get to 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 pay less for it. you get to pay less for it. And I think that this is kind of the only way to do it because if you have to charge anything to your clients, they're going to probably say no. Technology is becoming very much a commodity, um, and so it's very hard to get people to pay for anything, uh, partic um, particularly in a world where. Uh, you know, money is tight. And whenever money was tight with real estate agents, like just decided not to pay for it, um, which kind of makes sense. Um, it, it, you know, it's the fact that Zillow have uh, lock-in fees of six months when the, you purchase ads is not because they're like, you know, as they say, oh, it's because, you know, you need to have six months of uh, data, et cetera. No, it's fucking bullshit. It's because real estate agents have no money. And so if they can lock a contract for six months, it, like at least they have at least six months of, uh, of it. And they're hoping that maybe something close in this, in this time. So they're able to renew and the, av and the average ticket by zip code is like 30 bucks or 80 bucks. So it's, it's not that big that people will not notice. I mean, yeah, okay. Uh, so, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, I think, uh, if, 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 if you, your business and your startup is, um, is a SaaS for real estate agent, I would really, really rethink this. Um, I saw a very interesting podcast on top of that from, uh, a Shamat, uh, Bill, like billionaire, a super successful guy. And mm -hmm. he was saying something really interesting, which is, um, in uh, in the SaaS world, is there is going to be a consolidation for people who offer multi services? Um, in a world where where uh, the market is growing, everything's doing well, people go to very specialized tools. 
But in a world where there is a massive recession and you want to cut your bills, you go toward one tool that provides a lot of services, uh, which gives uh, big advantages to company like Microsoft and whatnot. Um, and I am not an expert in SaaS, but it, this seemed right to me. Okay, okay. And so actually, my last question for today, uh, you've been doing a lot of startups, you have a huge experience in real estate. What are your uh, best top three advices for guys who are just starting their startup in real estate, or maybe just starting their startup? Sure. Um, so I think it's going to be an amazing time to start a new startup. Um, I think building a startup in, in a recession is fantastic because the recession changed the game. Um, puts back, it's kind of a great equalizer in that sense where um, there is going to be new market constraints and new habits. And so you're going to be able to have a new playing field where you can build your startup. Some of the best startups have been built in recessions. Um, I would argue that uh, companies like Redfin uh, and Zillow benefited massively from the previous, uh, from the previous recession. And I think that um, there is going to be other effects like uh, customer acquisition costs are going to be lower uh, because there's going to be less competition. But the first thing that, so here's a beautiful thing, like incubants or people who are already in the market are going to lower their marketing costs. But you who were at zero, whatever you're going to spend is going to be an infinite amount of increase. So you're coming in a much better market. Um, furthermore, um, you're coming, you're going to come in with fresh tech, uh, because technology, I don't want to get too, too technical on it, but technology debt is a very real thing. This is why you see new startup with like three engineer beating out like established companies with like a hundred engineers because they're, they're able to, to build fresh for a new problem. Um, while the other guys have to deal with a, with a technology debt. So it's going to be great. And the difficulty is going to be able to get funding, but if you're able to get funding, a lot of other people will not. Um, and people are cherry picking. So if you're already doing something, it's, it's, you're not going to be like have a, 20 competitors who are going to come in with the same model immediately. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a fantastic time to do a, a business. Um, I, I would quite frankly revisit the idea of doing um, Home 61, the original model. I, I'm not going to do it because it's going to be a lot more sales training that it requires, but I think it might be a good time to launch something very, very similar. Um, and I am, and by the way, for whoever is launching it, I'm happy to, uh, to be a consultant and, or an advisor. Uh, I'm just not going to, I'll be an operator. Um, but, um, I personally am looking to solve what I think are going to be the top 10 problems in, um, in, in, for humanity in the next 10 years, uh, or the big subjects that I think are, are going to come through. Um, I think health, of course, is going to be a, a big one. We've seen that our supply chain and our agility in health has been subpar. Um, inequality is going to be even more staggering than it was before. Um, we have a massive inequality that was brought on by, by startups, quite frankly, and by technology, where people who moved in with technology were like propelled forward and people who did not are being stuck, are, are, are being stuck further and further. Um, furthermore, COVID-19 is going to, there's a lot of movement for the supply chain to go back national. But if people think this is going to give them more jobs, this is a mistake. They're going to go national because they're going to be done by robots. So there's going to be further inequality. Um, 
And so inequality is going to be a big subject. Education is going to be a massive subject. Um, I can just see it from my friends where some schools were massively prepared and typically private schools or very high end, like well-established public schools are doing really well uh, with like Zoom classes and whatnot. And other classes just and other public school just simply stopped. They're just not, they just don't know how to deal with it. Um, and so uh, it's going to exacerbate again um, uh, inequality. Then climate change is something that is coming inevitable, uh, becoming inevitable to, to have to uh, to tackle and uh, and energy, um, energy and water. Um, to and so those are the five subjects that I'm currently um, uh, investigating in. Furthermore, learning from my previous mistake of not investigating enough, this time I'm going to do my homework uh, well and so well and thorough. Um, I just want to add a little note on the climate change. Um, it's first of something quite positive. Now that we're not outside, you can see that virtually between uh, the animals coming coming out, being feeling a lot more secure to the pollution level, everything has been better since we're we haven't been out. Uh, that shows that we are having a massive and immediate effect on our environment in a much clearer way. Um, but what we're not seeing is the consequences of climate change that's going to come where dry, dry plates are going to become drier. So expect more forest fires and more drought in uh, places like California. Um, but uh, expect also a massive en energy slash water crisis for places where um, in Nepal, if glaciers, uh, um, if, if the glaciers there just uh, um, melt, then they're going to have a massive drought. Like they're going to have a massive drought. There, there'll be no water. So we need to know, like, how we're going to deal with those consequences. Uh, furthermore, warming of the of the of the of the planet is um, uh, is going to create a more instability, such as like more hurricane for Florida. So how are you going to deal with that? Um, and by the way, I'm I'm by no means a green uh, bleeding heart. I'm just really just looking at the as the stats and the impact it's going to have on humanity. And I think that this is going to be coming front and center in the next ten years. And I would like my next startup to help in one of those big problems that I think we're going to face in the next uh, in the next ten years. Yeah, Olivia, thank you for this uh, interview. It was a really great pleasure to talk with you. And uh, I hope hope you will see you again. For sure. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for for your time. Thank you for having me, and uh, I hope to talk to you to you guys again soon. Yeah.